Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Bay Area, it's time for Bay Area Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Bay Area Business Radio, and we could not be doing this work without the support of our sponsor, Leah Davis Coaching, inspiring women of color to claim their wealth legacy. Today on Bay Area Business Radio, we have Faye Darmawi with SF Urban Film Fest. Welcome, Faye. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much for doing this. And before we get too far into things, tell us about the SF Urban Film Fest. How are you serving folks? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, we are a seven-year-old organization, and we run an annual film festival in San Francisco, and we focus on cities and civic engagement. We are trying to create a community movement that helps solve urban issues and really focus on trying to get folks access to affordable housing, transit, open space, all those kinds of assets and resources that we need to make a city run beautifully. And we do that by highlighting community stories and community initiatives and working together between the private public and the community sectors. Now, how did you kind of connect the dots to um, have kind of the film festival as an engine to serve the community in this manner? Um, I started my career in urban planning, actually. And then I jumped into a specific sector within urban planning called uh, affordable housing. Uh, A lot of folks don't actually know what that is. Um, That is a a huge uh, sector of our economy. And what we do is we provide low-income housing and workforce housing to folks. Um, And the reason why I started the film festival is because not a lot of people know what that is, even though it's so important for our nation to, to provide affordable housing so that people have uh, a stable place to live and a, and a community to belong to. So I thought, well, if a lot of people in the U.S. don't understand exactly how uh, affordable housing is built and who it's for and where it goes, um, then maybe I can elicit the help of filmmakers and storytellers who are really good at explaining and inspiring people around really complex issues um, that really impact everyone and that actually everyone can get involved in um, making their communities better. Now, um, I am one of those people who don't know a lot about affordable housing, but I have a question for you regarding it. I see it happen a lot in areas that maybe um, weren't very popular areas to live in, then affordable housing sometimes comes in, and then those places become a desirable place to live, and then those places become not affordable. <laughs> um, how does how, how can you prevent that from happening when most people want their community to become more desirable, but still keep the housing affordable? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So because we live in a market-based system, um, 
we have a, a huge resistance against government controlling uh, the markets, so to speak, the real estate markets. So that's what happens, right? When places become popular, we let the market sort of dictate the price uh, because it's popular, then um, there's a lot of demand. And, and so the prices go up. Uh, what, what we do in the affordable housing world, in the affordable housing industry that's popped up in the U.S., is that uh, we take uh, this affordable housing out of the market. So it's sheltered from the market and most of the affordable housing in the US uh, is owned by nonprofits. So they have a mission driven business model where uh, they own and operate affordable housing in perpetuity. Uh, They're structured, they're financially structured in a way that they can do that. But the residents of the house don't get kind of some of the benefits that a home traditional homeowner gets in terms of it. it right. Uh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love these questions. Um, most affordable housing in the U.S. is rental housing. So the it's it's not it's not homeownership. It's 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 you're paying rent and you don't ever get equity, obviously, if you're a renter. Um, so, yes. So exactly like there's no. There's not like a clear path forward in terms of actualizing wealth uh, if you live in a nonprofit-owned affordable housing development, for example. But the benefits to you are you get housing in this desirable area that um, is a nice community that allow you access to the things that you want to have access to? And that your rent is very, very affordable relative to your income. Right. And that's done because the nonprofit is the owner and is kind of leasing it to you at this affordable rate. Exactly. Exactly. And, and they're able to do that because of a lot of government subsidy and actually has some, some private investment in there, too. So, we, so, so it's say, really complex. If, yeah. <laughs> if we would have filmed that, we would have had a film that could have been in your festival, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I love the way you paint the picture very simply. So like, that's why I wanted to start the festival is to have folks like you who are really good in the, in who work in the media, who are really uh, adept at explaining and inspiring um, the general public. So like the people in politics are pretty good at that, but really urban planners and people who work in housing and bankers uh, and um, these nonprofits aren't versed in, in, making things very simple so that's why we're you know eliciting the help of filmmakers and storytellers like you so now when you started this um seven years ago was there uh, a lot of people saying hey that sounds like an interesting subject for me i think i will film something um actually there was already uh sort of a a growing genre around around urbanism and around urban films uh, the issue of affordable housing and stabilizing communities for people who are lacking in resources or historically dis- disinvested is not a uniquely American story. So every city in the whole world, um, all global cities, even smaller mid-sized cities globally face this problem. There's just not enough uh affordable housing for people globally. Um, And 
while we're really good at uh, providing infrastructure, uh, some places in the US obviously lack infrastructure. Uh, for example, Flint, Michigan lacked water infrastructure. Uh, it's, it's sort of surprising because you're like, well, this is the US, how can that be? Um, so we have, we have that. So we, we're, we're surprisingly um, having that kind of conversation in common with other parts of the world. So other parts of the world, uh, other filmmakers in other parts of the world have been making films about these issues and, and they, they join uh, a growing number of American filmmakers who are also interested in uh, income inequality and obviously racial, racial justice. They, you know, they go in hand in hand and they often, uh, um, they often express themselves in the, in the inequities uh, in the built environment. Um, it's really easy to see uh, how sort of this racial injustice plays out in the physical form. For example, if you just notice where new highways are built, they're typically built to cut through poor neighborhoods. Uh, and those people have, um, have had, you know, had a unified community and then this big highway kind of cuts, cuts through them and now it's all polluted and the uh, streets around the highways are very, uh, very unsafe. Uh, and sometimes they don't even have on-ramps. So it's just basically a big, you know, overpass over a community, a lot of them communities of color. So like those kinds of stories uh, really are about how um, government makes choices and therefore people and communities um, also make choices. And we want to tell the stories of communities who are resisting and struggling and sort of um, trying to redo some of those past inequities. Uh, and if, in fact, all the, the stories around terrible, terrible locations of highways uh, is getting the attention of, of President Biden actually. So there's actually talk about um, dismantling some of, those, some of those highways that have been built before and creating uh, open space instead and re-knitting re together, unifying those communities that were torn in half before. Now, are you seeing that um, the storytellers that are being attracted to these kind of stories, are, are they kind of creating, the, the, it sounds like they're creating some change, um, at least they're opening the eyes and they're creating some awareness about the need to change are you seeing any solutions kind of bubbling up through their stories about, hey, in this city, in this country, um, they solved this yeah. by doing this. And then maybe some of those, once the stories are told, they get shared and, and then change can occur throughout the globe. Yes, 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 absolutely. Like um, this, like the tiny house, the tiny house movement. Right, exactly. Uh, Talk about that. that for people who aren't familiar the tiny, about the tiny house um, movement that, um, you know, how it started, what it is, and then how it's grown. Yeah, of course. So actually, I am not sure um, the origins of the tiny house movement, um, but it went two ways. One way is it, it kind of got adopted by the hipsters, but the other way that it got adopted is by um, folks who are houseless or 
traditionally housed. They're just lacking in sort of traditional homes. And they, and they were living in encampments and tents. And some of them organized by themselves and raised money with the help of activists and architects and probably urban planners uh, who were working on, on the side during the weekends and built little tiny homes. These are like tiny homes the size of your bedroom. And it, one, in one tiny home, you would have your kitchen, your living room, your bedroom, um, a little desk perhaps. And um, these tiny homes would be in like a little village of tiny homes. And they would probably take up like surplus land, maybe public land. And then there would be like a common sort of um, uh, restroom area. Uh, and then maybe like another area for, um, maybe there's a common kitchen actually, maybe not, maybe your, maybe your, maybe your tiny home does not have a common kitchen, but it's, um, it's kind of harkens back to, you know, the, pi the pioneering times of the U.S., so it's very, very popular here because it's a very, um, it's a very mythical, iconic sort of uh, residential shape. That right, like you to. can have community, every but still give people their privacy and the autonomy of having their own home in their own kind of, they can make it their own, but still they're part of a community. And like you said, it's smaller, so therefore it's more affordable, but they're still kind of in a in an area where is a desirable area to be in. So it's kind of creates a win-win-win all the way around. Right. And they're safer, like, you know, these encampments of the tents and um, stuff, they, they like catch on fire. So, but, so when the people build tiny homes, it's like there has some permanent, have like right. Really there's good more permanence materials. to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an example where once those stories got told through film and through the media, then they spread. And now they're, they're, these um, communities are popping up all over, and some with hundreds of homes within them. Well, I'm not sure about hundreds, but definitely um, more municipalities and communities are accepting of them. The most beautiful one I saw was actually in Portland, uh, and it was it was for... It was for women only. It's a women's only sort of, you know, um, small, tiny home village for homeless women because um, they feel a lot safer with just a, with just with women around. Yeah, I um, think in Austin has uh, some f fairly large um, communities of tiny homes as well. Yeah, and um, so these affordable housing nonprofits have started to. Uh, put tiny home villages on the lots in which they're trying to build affordable housing. So affordable housing just takes forever to build because of the complex financing. Right. So sometimes a lot is open for five years. So they'll build a temporary tiny home village in that lot in the meantime, until the actual sort of like five or six story affordable housing complex is built. Oh, so they use it kind of as a transition Right, a temporary use, right, yeah. And then that way they can still be ha uh, housing folks while they wait. Yes, yes. And it's, you know, it's open land um, and um, the nonprofit is managing the land anyway, so might as well have uh, people get housed in the meantime. Right, exactly. But that's that must be so rewarding for you to see your work kind of spur change 
and be part of the change that you're trying to do in this area? I mean, it's not just my festival, but um, definitely it's very, very rewarding to see culture shift through storytelling. Uh, if you can sort of humanize the folks who live in these tiny home villages and really recognize that uh, some of these folks, uh, you you actually are, you know, working with them on a daily basis. Like you, you know, the uh, we had, there was a story of somebody who was a teacher actually, you know, who was a homeless teacher. Uh, it's, you know, so some of these homeless people are, they're, they're working homeless. Right. And that's another area where people, I don't think, really understand and appreciate the struggles that they're doing um, and just in their day-to-day lives where these kind of telling these stories are important, like you said, to humanize them and to create the awareness that this is happening. It could be in your, in your backyard. Right. This is, this is a, this is a potential solution for what you see in your community. And there's um, people who are doing it. So you can, you know, call them up and ask them how they did it and see the lessons learned. So that, right. that's our hope. <laughs> now, um, is there a way or have you figured out a way or has the, the group of storytellers that I guess you're working with or through or in conjunction with um, figured out a way to get how, how the business community can support these efforts? Um, well, the business community... Um, they they certainly can i mean the every business community every business community has a chamber and the chambers are always hosting little forums um so on those chamber forums um it would be great if uh yeah you invited us and we could do a little um film screening and then we can invite some uh, activists or uh, housing developers or policymakers or community organizers and uh, really get a like a firsthand account of some of the success stories. Yeah, uh, that's a great way. What about if they wanted to kind of financially support the arts? Is there a place for them in that environment as well? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The thing about the thing about this is actually storytelling. Um, right now, the pervasive, the pervasive understanding of small arts organizations, including ours, is that we are, we're a risky investment. But uh, there's been a lot of studies recently that show that we're actually not a risky investment. We're actually m- much more nimble. Uh, we were able to, more, non, more small arts organizations uh, saved up acorns during the pandemic. Uh, than the larger organizations, mostly because we don't have any overhead, right? We don't have a lot of fixed costs. Um, and we're able to, we're, because we're wearing multiple hats, we're able to put some on and take some off and there was no big deal. It wasn't like we had people who we had to lay off or we had um, fixed uh, assets like like rent, you know, our, we didn't have <clears throat> theaters or big offices. So, you know, smart, small arts organizations are, in fact, um, less risky uh, to invest in. And we're also really a lot more responsive to the community. So if, if you're a business and you are considering, like, you know, donating to the opera or a small film festival, uh, I don't think the opera needs you. 
Uh, and, and if you're really, if you're mission driven business and you really want to see change, and if you really want to increase, um, the well-being of your community, it's not by donating to the opera, right? What you want to do is donate to small arts organizations that are really telling the stories of how communities are, are, are creating change for themselves and, and improving their, improving their lives. Uh, with or without uh, pub the public sector help, um, communities who have been marginalized are really, really, really resilient. And small arts organizations are supporting that. And we're telling the stories uh, of those initiatives and, and trying to get um, mainstream folks to pay attention. Um, I, doubt, I doubt the opera is supporting, you know, much of, um, much of civic life, actually. I'm not downplaying the opera. I'm just saying um, sort of reconsider what you think of arts and culture, I guess. Right. Maybe diversify your arts budget uh, a little broader. <laughs> now, um, tell, let's give some advice to maybe some of those community development folks out there that haven't really embraced storytelling yet. Is there some kind of do's and don'ts you've learned when it comes to leveraging storytelling to help you achieve your mission? Mm. Well, don't assume that you actually, uh, you actually uh, don't need a professional storyteller. <laughs> so we, what we've seen is that um, professional storytellers, professional filmmakers, they add so much value to your team, not just, sort of like, you know, just creating a video, but they're, the way that they think creatively uh, really adds to the way that you approach any problem. Um, so if you're considering putting together teams, uh, really consider um, adding a filmmaker or storyteller or an artist as part of your team. Uh, for example, we were just hired by a, uh, a civic nonprofit, uh, and they run sort of a lab, and the lab uh, is for government folks and academic researchers. Guess who's missing from that team? So they're missing. They're missing the storytellers. So they're they're supposed to be sort of pitching to funders their their projects. This 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 team of government and academics, and if you if <laughs> If you listen to their PowerPoint presentations, you have no idea why what they're doing is important. Like even answering the question why didn't even occur to them until like we until we were hired and we were just like, maybe you should really talk about the stakes. What's at stake right now? Why is it so important for all of us to pay attention to this? And for you, um, for most storytellers, that's like straight off the bat, like, what is going to give the audience a hook? Why do, why would you, why would you care? Right. And that, that's funny that you say that because there's so many people that may be great at what they do, but they just have a hard time articulating the why behind it. Yes. Yes. And, and um, and it doesn't occur to them to kind of hire a storyteller because they're the ones that supposed to know the why because they invented it or they were, you know, they're an important component of it. 
So it, it's interesting that uh, that you have to help them tell their story, but that's what's needed if they want to get the message out. Yeah, but that's not your training, right? I mean, right. you're not expected to be professional storytellers. That's that's not who they are, and that's fine because there are professional storytellers. <laughs> right, but they have to be vulnerable and humble enough to say, I need help. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. And they are because they really want their projects to be successful. So they really recognize, like, this is a blind spot that we have, um, and we really need uh, to help, you know, help guide us to write or or visually tell the story uh, so that we can get support, either political, uh, the general pub public, or funders to support these initiatives. This must be such rewarding work for you. And to really take on this uh, project is just a tremendous achievement. You should be very proud of yourself and the impact you're making is remarkable. Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> Now, if, so uh, thank you. if somebody wants to get involved at any level, whether it's just to kind of watch the films or if they want to be a kind of financial sponsor or they want to maybe hire you to help them tell their story, what is the website that people can learn more? Oh, sure. It is www.sfurbanfilmfest. SF. SF, the letter S, the letter F, urbanfilmfest.com. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And we're on all social media and we're always at SF Urban Film Fest. And also you can email me at feydarmawi at gmail.com. Should I spell my name? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's my first and last name. So it's F as in Frank, A Y, D as in David, A R, M as in Mary, A W I, at gmail.com. It's obvious that I have to spell my name uh, <laughs> when I do customer service. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? This is <laughs> people's names are an adventure for a lot of folks, but yeah, it's it's worth the effort. Uh, and if you want to just go to sfurbanfilmfest.com, that uh, might be an easier way to remember that this is the place to go if you want to really help the folks in the San Francisco area. Check out the films um, and uh, find find out how you can get involved with the community storytelling that's going on there. Yeah, and actually, um, we are based in the Bay Area, but our last film festival was virtual, uh, and all our panel discussions are on our YouTube uh, just uh, so it's not just it. so now, I guess, because of the pandemic now, the the films are from all over the globe or they were always from all over the they globe. They were all they were always from all over the globe. Um, and unfortunately, none of those films are available anymore online since the festival was in February. Right. But we did we did record record all the panel discussions and those recordings are on our YouTube page. If you want to get a taste of what we do or how we work. Uh, we also have a blog, and that's also uh, uh, you can find that on our website, and it's also it's also published on Medium. And then, if somebody wants to submit for next year's festival, is there a way to do that? Yes. So we do an open call, uh, probably um, 
later in um, July. Um, but yeah, you would have to submit through Film Freeway. Good stuff. Well, congratulations on all the success. And uh, please keep us posted on next year's festival. And when that comes on, maybe come back on and, and remind us about how somebody can submit for that. Will do. Well, thank you again for sharing your story, Faye. Thank you so much. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Bay Area Business Radio. 